Father, we pray that you might speak to us again this morning through your word, that you might uh, speak to us in this slightly unusual series we're doing, looking also through the words of that great, enduring and powerful song, Amazing Grace. May you remind us through this series of just how great your grace is, of how central it is to all of your word, all of our faith, to all of our hopes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our verse that we're looking at is one that we sing uh, in when we do the Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone version, uh, which is, you know, reflective of the fact that, um, you know, whenever you go and round to different churches, if those churches happen to sing Amazing Grace, there's, there's sort of three verses we all sing the same, and then there's a few that are a bit different. Uh, some were original John Newton ones, and some were added later. But the verse we're looking at today says, The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. I also want to include in what we're looking at this morning from Psalm 142. A masculine of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, refuge, my shield and my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. The Lord has promised good to me, and his word my hope secures. Every day I get amazing promises. I get promises that I can earn $1,000 a day working from home if I just follow this link. I get promises that I can lose weight without any change to my diet or exercise habits. I get promises that I can raise my IQ by just playing this video game for 20 minutes a day. And that's, that's just the G-rated ones, folks. But um, we all get promises, don't we? Every day. Average Australian is advertised to every day. And I looked up some statistics on this and they say that the average Australian sees 5,000 ads per day. Now, that's probably largely 
uh, bumped up by people in the cities where every bus stop, every bus, you know, billboards, left, right and centre, everywhere you look is ads. But even out here we see our fair share of ads. They don't tend to pay much attention to it, but we go to the footy oval and what's there plastered all around you know, the sides of the oval? Advertising for businesses. When I go to watch a YouTube video, ads. When I watch the TV, ads. When I listen to drive time radio, nothing but ads. <laughs> we get advertised to a lot. We get promised a lot of things. And I think it's made our society particularly sceptical of promises. Because we know so many of these promises do not come true. So many of these promises do not have our best interests at heart. We've come to realise that so many things that sound good are too good to be true. And we've seen in modern times the um, advertising agencies have started to recognise this, that we don't trust brands so much anymore. So they go to the people that we do trust, the, well, some people trust, your celebrities and your influencers, and they say, you advertise our product, you be a brand ambassador for us. And they try and work off of the trust that people have for these personalities, now that we no longer trust the brand. Because promises are only as good as the one who is making the promise. And as I said, we've, we've learned not to trust Sometimes the brands that are making the promises. We've learned to recognise when what they're saying sounds too good to be true. Now the thing is, as we come to God's word, God has made us a large number of promises. The Lord has promised good to me. And as a society that's learned to be cautious about promises, how do we feel when we come to these things that God has promised us? What has God promised us? He promises forgiveness for all who confess to him. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to be with us to the very end of the age. He promises us our God-given right. The God-given right that we read about in the Bible is that we have the right to be called children of God if we have believed in Jesus. He promises an end to the brokenness in our world. Promises an end to sin, to death, to disease. He promises victory of overcoming the world. He promises streets of gold and an end of hunger. He promises you everlasting life with him. Now these promises are undoubtedly good. The Lord has promised good to you. But does his word secure our hope as the next line goes? His word, my hope, secures. Do we trust those promises? Can we trust God's promises? Or are they too good to be true?
I think sometimes those, those who are Christians and those who are not can look at those and they have that moment of questioning, that, that doubt. What if it is all too good to be true? That there can be forgiveness? That there can be everlasting life? What if the sceptics are right to say we just want there to be life after death? That we just want to believe that somebody is in control of our world? That we just want to believe that everything happens for a reason? How do we respond to that? How do we feel about that? Have we ever, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but have you ever felt those doubts? Felt those questions yourself? I found it's helpful in those times when I have felt those doubts to look to Jesus, to look at his life, to look at his death, to look at his teaching. Because God has promised us a great many things, but what they all have in common is that Jesus is at the heart of those promises. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Uh, this is in a section Paul has written to the Corinthians. And he's talking about people who are like, you know, they say yes, yes, but, you know, yes, yes, they'll do it, but it actually it's no, no, I won't do it. But all of the promises, God isn't like that with us. He says all of the promises he has made are yes in Christ. Christ is the nexus, the point where all of God's promises come together. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Jesus is at the heart of all of God's promises. And when we look at Jesus, my question is, do we see somebody who is too good to be true. We see somebody who is perfectly good. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, when I read about Jesus, there is also a, a deep realness there. There is pain as he sees the brokenness of this world. There are those times he just gets exasperated with his disciples who just aren't getting it. And there's the disciples themselves who are honest enough to write about all of the times that they exasperated their master by, or their teacher by not understanding and not getting it. There's the way that he... Uh, just went against so many of the things that what people were expecting. He wasn't there to throw out the Romans and restore Israel to its former glory. He wasn't there to, um, you know, to, to bolster up those who were the, the teachers of the law and tell everybody that they needed to be so legalistic like that. But instead he so often opposed what the people expected by eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. He broke bread with these people. You know, that was shocking. That was not what anybody expected. This... I think when you read this relationship that the people had that knew Jesus, you see that he was good. 
but there's a real reality to it as well. And I think that when we read that, that's not just me perceiving that, me, me using my own rationale to, see, to, to understand that. But when we look at Jesus, I think this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about how the Spirit testifies to us about Jesus and says, this is one worth listening to. This is one that we should follow. This is the one that we should put our hope in. Jesus gives us assurance about God's promises because he fulfills them. And he reminds us that the fulfillment of God's promises was not a matter of things being too good to be true. God didn't look at us and our sinfulness and our hatred of one another and the way that humanity, humanity has all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and click his fingers and say, that's okay, I love you anyway, you can come to heaven with me. God spent thousands of years establishing some level of relationship as much as he could with a people that kept on getting it wrong, that kept on running off after, other, after idols and other gods that were no gods at all. And he built that relationship so that at the right time, God himself, God the Son, could come and live among his people could show them what it meant, show them what God was like and teach them what the kingdom of God was like. And at the right time he came and he dealt with our sin. And when we look at the cross where our sin was paid for, we see that Jesus was perfectly good to go through all of that for us. But we're also reminded that it wasn't too good to be true. That the forgiveness, that the promises of God came about through agonising suffering. Through the wrath of God being poured out on his own son. God the son who had been with him through all of eternity. So that the son cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross was brutal. It was earth shattering. It wasn't easy. It wasn't a click of the fingers. And we look at what happened as a result of Jesus coming and teaching those things. And living his life in the way that he did and giving his life for us. And even people who don't believe that Jesus is the eternal son of God cannot deny that he changed the world, that his teaching and that his example of self-sacrifice has substantially changed the world from what the ancient world was like. This is, you know... Um, Secular historian Tom Holland, not, not Spider-Man, uh, another Tom Holland, has just written a huge uh, book that's been hugely influential about how Christianity has shaped the world that we live in. That the West is what it is because of Jesus. 
He made a difference. He changed the world. And we believe, of course, that that's because he was exactly who he said he was. That he was the fulfilment to all of God's promises. But knowing that Jesus is the answer to all of the riddles, to all of the promises, also helps to keep us from another danger, which is looking for the fulfilment of the promises in the wrong time frame. I mean, you imagine that you tell, you know, you've, you've, if you have small children or if you once had small children, if you can just imagine what it might be like to have small children, and you tell them, for your birthday, which is, you know, however far away, we're going to have a bouncy castle and you can jump around in the bouncy castle. And they get out of the bed the next morning and it's not their birthday, it's still a while away, and they go racing outside and the bouncy castle isn't there and they're angry at you. Imagine that situation. Somebody's got really excited about the promise that somebody has made, but they haven't got the time frame right. They haven't kept in mind that that promise was for its right time. I think there have been a number of people who have been burned by expecting all of the promises that God has made to us in this lifetime. The Bible has promises of health and wealth, of sinlessness that will be made perfect. But when do we expect those promises to take place? When do we expect that we will have these things, perfect health that, that cannot be shaken? Wealth that cannot be taken away. God does give us good health sometimes. Uh, and he does give us wealth sometimes. But sometimes there's this expectation that if people have enough faith, they will have these things perfectly. And the only reason they might not have these things is that they haven't had enough faith. Or maybe it's because it's not our birthday yet. It's because the time hasn't come yet when these promises will be fulfilled. For an interesting case study, perhaps, many of us know the promise from the Old Testament, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will turn and heal their land. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be cheeky. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Who believes that promise is for us in the New Testament? Who believes that promise was for the Old Testament and is not so much for us in the New Testament? Okay, not too sure. Lots of people haven't raised a hand at all and that's okay. I'll put it to you that it depends entirely on what we understand by our land. If we understand our land to be Australia, that if Australia turns and prays, God will heal our land from drought and uh, you know, floods or whatever else it might be, there is a sense in which we have to realise that Australia is not Israel. 
the Old Testament kingdom of Israel, which was God's representation before the whole world. And as part of that had a set of promises and curses that went with their covenant that they had made with God. And the covenant included things like, if you are faithful, your land will be good and produce well. And if you turn your back on me and worship other gods, there will be trouble and there will be no rain and there will be other problems. So there is a sense in which our land is not this country that we live in. But there is that our land, this world, with all of its brokenness, all of its troubles, and we do have God's promise that he will come and he will heal this land, that creation is groaning for when God's, when the sons of God will be revealed, for when things will be made right, the world made the way that it was supposed to be. And so I think that when we look at God's promises, I think the land is the new creation, the land that is our home, the land that we're looking forward to, the land that will be restored is exactly that, the land that we are hoping for, this world made new with all of the brokenness and all of the sin and all of the damage gone. And the world made the way that it was supposed to be. But I will say that God in his goodness does also pour out blessings on people uh, when people do turn and pray. So if there's a drought, there is nothing wrong with people uh, praying to God and turning to God and asking for him to heal our land. But understanding that God has a slightly different relationship with our land than he did with Israel's. And that our real land is is the one that we're going to, not the one that we're in right now. But there are definitely some promises for now. He promises that he will be with us always, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He promises us that he hears our prayers and that in all things, even the bad things, he is working for our good. But he also promises that there will be hard times. There will be persecution in this life. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And in uh, Matthew chapter 10, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. 
On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus promises that a life of following him will not be too good to be true. That there will be hard times. That this idea that believing in Jesus means instant victory over any hardship that might show its face is not at all what Jesus taught us to expect. Now these things, these hardships and persecutions, is not something I look forward to. But as I say, it does at least answer that charge that things are too good to be true. And he's promised us that whatever we face, he will be our shield and our portion as long as life endures. I cry to you, Lord, I say you are my refuge or my shield, my portion in the land of the living. What's a shield for? Protection. Protection. That's right. For protection from enemy attacks, from arrows or, or crossbow bolts or whatever the thing might be, you don't need a shield in the peacetime. A shield is for battle. Uh, not that we tend to see people with shields that much these days, but um, unless it's like a sci-fi with the energy shields. But even then, you don't have shields unless somebody's shooting at you. But um, we've just we've been promised by Jesus that this life will be a battle, that it won't always be easy, that there will be many challenges that we face. And I know a lot of you are in very challenging seasons. Jesus hasn't promised that it will be easy and comfortable. And he hasn't necessarily promised that we'll do it all in a big house with a a big family with lots of money uh, or perfect health. He hasn't promised those things for us yet. But he has promised to be our shield and our portion. Psalm 142, as you might have noticed as we read through it, is the cry of somebody in desperate need. The cry of somebody who is quite literally being hunted by his enemies who want to put him to death. Now, maybe not the literal side of things, but Psalm 142 may speak to you as somebody who is in a time of desperate need. Or it might speak to a time in your life that you've been through a time of desperate need. At times it's been me. And in these times, God's promises can seem far away. Has God forgotten us? Where's all this good stuff that he promised? We might have to wait longer than we would like for some of the promises, for the end of pain, for the end of sin, mucking up all of my life and the things that I'd like to be doing instead. For that comfort and that, you know, health and all of those things. But Psalm 142 reminds us that we can call on God to uphold his promises, to be your shield 
in the battle, blunting the blows of the enemy, protecting us from the one who is pursuing us, who is not King Saul and his legions, but is known as the accuser, as the enemy, as the devil or Satan. He's promised to be our portion. I know what you think of when you hear about the word portion. It makes me think of like rations that is given to a person in a military campaign. And rations give the soldiers what they need. They might not be the most exciting meals. Um, it might not be a filet mignon with, with mushroom gravy. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that they hand those out in the ration packs for the army. But they give us what we need. Jesus has promised to be for us all that we need. Because all that we truly need can be found in him. We are all sinners. We've all rejected God and gone our own way. We've all chosen to start running en masse towards hell, towards an eternity without God, our creator, who we have rejected. And Jesus died on that cross while we were still his enemies so that we could become the family of God, that we could be forgiven, that we could be adopted back in so that we can have a future and a hope. What we really need is forgiveness and we find that in Jesus. What we really need is relationship, is the love of our God who created us and Jesus gives us that. What we need is community. People are social animals and you know you put somebody in isolation for too long, they go crazy. Jesus gives us community by drawing together a people for his name. He can be our portion. I know it's very popular um, quotes along the lines of... Um, you know, when Jesus is all that you have, you'll realise that he is all that you need. And this has been said by people who have been in those situations where Jesus is all that they have. I don't know if I can quote that word from my own personal authority. I don't know if I've ever been to that place where I've had nothing. But even if we have nothing, in what this world considers worthwhile or useful. We have all that we need, our portion, in him. And we can hold on to all of these promises, both the ones that have come for now and the ones that are not yet. His word can secure our hope because he has kept all his promises so far.
Jesus kept the promises that God had made for a saviour. He's already done the hardest part, which was the cross. Which is why we can trust that he will do the rest of the things that he has promised us that he will do. And we can ready ourselves for the battle with our shield held high, trusting in him. We can support one another in recognition that this life is not easy, that this life is a battle, and that battles go best when the soldiers who are working together stand side by side rather than higgledy-piggledy straggled around a field. And we put our faith in him, that he will our shield and portion be as long as life endures. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have promised us so many good things. And there are very many good reasons why people in this church and in our community and in our world have become very cynical of promises. But help us not to bring that across into the promises that you have made for us. Help us to see that you have been faithful to your promises, that you have sent us Jesus, the one that you had promised, that there can be forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Lord, help us to put our trust in him, especially when life is hard. For those who are struggling, Lord, please be a shield to them. You might not rescue us from every battle, but you are our shield and you make sure that we are not struck down in the battle. And life may not always be filet mignons and all of the things that we could ever dream of, but we thank you that you are all that we need, that you give us all that we need. Lord, let us put our trust in you. Help us to recognise the promises that you have kept and lift our eyes to those promises that are still to come the promises of a land that will last forever, the promises of life spent with you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.